If you would turn back to James with me. Do you ever feel like the little girl on the video? When you watch her, it seems so easy. You think, wow, you, as an adult, that would never happen to us, right? And when we look at things and we see things or do things that we, sh- you know what? And we laugh at her. She's even cute, right? And it's only a cookie. But what about when you're sitting at the table and you're a teenager? What about when you're sitting there and you're a college student away from home? What if it's an adult situation as a grown-up? See, what about when what's on the table tempting you is not just a cookie? And what about when you grow up and it's not just your mom telling you to wait or your mom saying no to certain things in your life? And coming back and seeing if you obeyed or not. What if it's God? See, that's the temptation test, really, that James is talking about. As he tries to give us tests of a non-fiction faith. See, he wants us to know that the test that he's talking about is not about a little toddler at a table with a cookie. And he wants us to realize that our response to temptations to sin in our lives really matter. They are very, very serious And he clearly wants us to understand that for God, the question is not whether in your temptations you are cute, but whether you are Christian. So James is going to give us a brief, in these few verses, a brief theology of temptation, particularly as to its causes and effects in our lives. So my idea this morning that I really want you to understand and grapple with or struggle with is this. How you respond to temptation is a matter of life and death. In fact, he said that if you endure the temptations and you don't give in to them, the verse we looked at last week, verse 12, you will be given the crown of life. So the result or the effect of being saved by grace and demonstrating that salvation by the way you respond to trials and temptations um, You'll be given the crown of life. But he's also going to tell us that the other is true, that the way that you respond to trials and temptations may be an indication that you don't have life because you may be one of the people that the Bible says, and when sin conceives, when temptation, I should say, comes around in our lives and it comes to full fruition of sin, it brings forth death. So it is a matter of life and a matter of death. And James wants us to know that one of the most important things you can know if you're going to respond rightly to temptations is where it comes from. What is the source of it? And knowing the source, James says, is going to help you respond to it correctly. So let's take a look at it, and we're going to ask the question this morning, first and foremost, where does temptation come from? And James wants us to know, straight off the bat, that the source of temptations, the cause of temptations in your life, small and great, they do not come from God. That is his main thesis, and he's going to unpack it in two ways. One is he's going to say this, here's what does not come from God. Okay? So he's going to spend some time telling you, when it comes to sin and temptation, this doesn't come from God. But on the other hand, he's going to tell you, but here's what does come from God. So let's look at them one at a time. Number one, when it comes to sin and temptation, what does come from God? Verse 13, look at it in the text. Let no one say, no one. In other words, there are no small print. There's no exceptions, right? Let no one say when he is tempted. So get this in your mind this morning. If you don't think this is relevant for you and you don't really face temptation, you'd be wrong because James wants you to know it's not a matter of when 
or if, it's a matter of when. It's, it's, temptations are inevitable. In fact, you may not even recognize it, but you may have been tempted this morning already before you came here. And the way that you responded to their children, your children when they didn't want to get out of bed and it made it hard for you to get ready for church and the attitude and the, and the response you had to them when they didn't do what you wanted. See, there are things that have already gone on in your life this morning before you even came into the doors of this church. Every one of us face temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There's not a temptation that is not common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that, listen, that you may be able to endure it. You may be able to stand the test of it. So here's what James says. God is not the source of temptation. Because of his nature and his perfections as God, here's what he cannot do. He cannot be tempted himself. So God himself is not tempted. But watch. Not only is he not tempted because he's God, but here's a theological lesson for us. He also doesn't tempt other people. Now, in the Bible, he tests us. There are many examples of famous Bible characters that he tested to to help see the validity or the reality or the measure of their faith. But God does not put things in your path and mine that solicit us to do evil. He's not out to get you to sin. That's not what God is and that's not what God does. He doesn't do it to anyone at any time. And you know why that theological truth is absolutely crucial? Listen, because if you're honest, we all tend to blame God when things go wrong. We do, especially when it comes to temptations. And we don't have to go far in the Bible, in fact, the first few chapters, to see that it's part of what it means to be human. When Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit that was forbidden for them, and God told them, hey, it's not a cookie, it's a fruit. See? And and they, like the little girl on the screen, thought about it and ended up eating it. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth when they were caught in their sin was... Adam says it's Eve's fault, and Eve's fault said it was the snake's fault. You know why? Because that is our sinful propensity. We like to blame God for the things that go wrong in our life. And I've heard many of them. I'm going to repeat some of them. Why did God allow me to meet that woman anyways? And this is after the adulterous affair and the marriage is over. Why does God, or how does God expect me to be pure when he allows so much junk on the internet? God could have stopped me from going to that party. I've talked to young people. It could have stopped me from going to that party, and I never would have done this, and I never would have got arrested. I've heard people say, you know what, I I don't know why God didn't stop me from marrying her or marrying him. As if they didn't know that the Bible says that Christians don't marry unsaved people. So let me ask you, get this down. God is not the source of your temptation and sin. You ready? You are. That's why James says it. That's, why he, that's what he wants us to know. This is a passage, and the first thing he wants you to know, that if you're going to respond like a Christian to temptation, here's what you got to get under your belt, right off the bat, that it's not God's fault, it's yours. You are the source. There's only one cause of your sin, and it's that you want to do it. You want to do it. Nobody makes you give in to sin and temptation. There are no conditions that make you sin. See, the sin, we're going to find out this morning, 
The temptation to sin does not come from without. It's not God. God's not the one tempting you to sin. And when you give in to sin, it's not a problem of what's outside of you. People want to say, it's my background. It's the environment that I live in. You know, if I lived in a better area, if I had a different upbringing. And they like to blame blame their parents. Do you know that you're not an alcoholic because your dad was one? Did you know that? You don't cuss and use foul language and filthy things come out of your mouth because all your friends at school do it. Did you know that's not the reason that you do it? You're not divorced today because you grew up in a family that was divorced. You don't have, and I've heard this one often, you do not have a sinful temper because of your nationality. You are not sexually immoral because of your genetics. You are not a machine programmed by your environment. You are not an animal that is only doing what is instinctive. You are a human being with personal responsibility, and you are responsible, God's word says, for every sin that you give into. So think of it this way temptations are the occasion of your failure, not the cause. Temptations, let me say it again. Temptations are the occasion of your, the sin, and that is the occasion of your failure. It's not the cause of it. You remember back in 1970, most of you probably won't, but back in 1970, there was a common strip, comic strip by Pogo, and it was about, you know, what are we going to do to make our earth better? It was on Earth Day, and there was a poster given, and what is really the problem? Why are we so destructive to our environment? And here was the comic strip. It said, we have met the enemy And he is us. In other words, you know why our environment is going so bad? It's our fault. It's what we do. And that the enemy. See, you need to look in this morning. Here's what James wants you to do. Look in the mirror this morning. If you find yourself giving in to temptation, I keep eating when I shouldn't do that. It's become idolatrous in my life. I'm looking at stuff on the internet. I'm watching TV. I'm wasting my time. I'm so lazy in life. I don't want to work hard. Whatever it is, see, here's what you need. Look in the mirror and say, I found the enemy. It's me. It's me. See, James says this, let not anybody say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. But in contrast, look at verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. See, when he is tempted, it's not God on the outside, it's you on the inside. And I'll catch it. What is, do you see here what it doesn't say? In this passage, there is not a word about the devil. Remember that old adage? The devil made me do it. Remember that? Some people see a demon behind every bush. I have charismatic people in my family, and they're always seeking to cast out the demon of this or that, the demon of lust, the demon of materialism. Can I tell you this? There are no demons, and, or the devil is not mentioned in this passage. What? Wait, wait. Not because James doesn't talk about it. Because in James chapter 4 and verse 7, here's what he says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, he does talk about, because Satan has a part. He does tempt people. He does deceive people. He does come after you. But that's not what James James wants to emphasize. You know what he wants to emphasize? No matter if it's the devil, no matter if it's the world, no matter if it's your flesh, no matter what your upbringing, no matter what your outside forces are in your life, here's what he says. You are the one that's responsible. But Pastor Walker, if you knew the home I grew up in, and my parents weren't religious, they had nothing to do with God, and they were horrible examples. I know that. 
God is not responsible for your sinning. The devil is not. Your family is not. Your circumstances are not. See, all of those things, it's not that they don't have a part, including the devil. All of those outside things, listen to me, are influential, but they are not determinative. In other words, yes, it's much more easier to pick up really bad habits growing up in a bad family and take them into your marriage someday, which may cause some real problems and even end in divorce. It is influential, but it is not determinative. It does not have to be that way. If you watched your dad grow up and, and drink or smoke, or you watched your, your brother or sister were into drugs and getting high, and you watched all that, would it be easier for you to pick up on that? Well, absolutely It's influential, but it is not determinative. You know why? Because in the end, you do what you want to do. You do what you want to do. So James comes out. I should say Jesus says this in Mark 7, 21. He says, you know what defiles a man? What comes out of his heart. It's not what is on the outside that defiles a man, but what is on the inside, Mark 7, 21. So temptation is an inside job. And and, and let me tell you how it works, because it is so cunning. Did you catch the words in verse 14? Each person is tempted. Each person, it's tailor-made. That little Greek word means that we don't all struggle with the same thing. See, my struggles may not be your struggles, and your struggles may not be mine. See, your struggles may be that you like certain things or you want to have, see, you have Amazon boxes delivered to your house all the time. You know, not because you need anything. You just like getting new stuff all the time. And you like, you don't need this. In fact, you, you would go up, you'd go up and then you'd say, I got seven of those, but why did I get an eighth one? You know why? Because you like that sort of thing and it's got a hold of you. And a lot of you, when you get depressed, you go to the mall because you feel better when you buy stuff. That's not me, right? My only weakness is Mountain Dew. (laughs) No, no, hardly. But your struggles may not be mine, but but here's what they are. Our temptations are tailor-made. Yes, there are generic ones that fit everybody, and we all have them because of our humanity or even our gender. But listen, here's what God says. Each one, and then he says, is lured and enticed by, listen, his own desire i don't have a desire now see i grew up in a wealthy home i don't have a desire to be wealthy i don't have a desire for power and position my dad was vice president of an oil company i don't have i don't have that drive to be those things that's not an allurement for me and you could say hey my family and i don't but i have this and i, I want to be recognized and, and here's what james points out listen to this it's not just that we desire bad things it's also that we desire things badly see it's not just that satan comes after us or our flesh wants bad things and we all know those are pretty obvious most of the time but here's what james says it's also because we desire things badly we really really want things and sometimes we want them too much even though in and of themselves they're good things and sometimes we want good things too much and sometimes the good things that we should want more we don't we don't want them enough i.e. we want our kids to be a success we want them to get the grades and we want them to get the college and the, and the career and we want them to have the job and the money. And, we, and why? That's nothing wrong with that. That's great. 
But when we want it more that they be successful at their job than they are successful in their relationship with God, it becomes a problem in our lives. We want our, to be good at our careers better than we want to be good as a Christian. See, sometimes we want the acceptance of people, and it's not wrong to have people, you want people to like you and to think well of you. Those are normal things. But when we want acceptance by people more than we want acceptance by God, and we're willing to compromise and sin and push God to the side to get it, see, it becomes a problem. And our problem is, James says, is on the inside. It's not just that we want bad things. We want things badly, too much at times. And so temptation comes at us and attacks us, James says, in two ways. And you've got to watch for both. It comes covertly and overtly. Look what he says. You are lured, verse 14, and enticed. Lured is a fishing metaphor, and enticed is a hunting metaphor. It means to be trapped. Now, I'll be honest with you, I may be the worst fisherman in history, I've only gone two times. The first time I went with my dad when I was about 12, we put the rod together, we cast it out there, it snapped in half, sunk in the middle of the lake, and we went home. <laughs> the only other time I ever went fishing was when Ed Koenig took my boys and I fishing when we were little, and we went out there, and he had, all the, he had the tackle box and all the stuff, and we went to this lake, he said it was fantastic, we went out there, and we put the hook out there and all that stuff, and we did it, and he sat there, and sat there, and sat there. I said, Ed... Why do you do this? I mean, I like talking to you, but dude, we can do it at a restaurant and we can be eating food. We caught nothing. So as a big fat hooper, zero, both times for me. I'm not a fisherman, but I know about fishing. And I know this. Spiritually, temptation has a tackle box. It does. And inside the tackle box, I learned from Ed Koenig, you know, there's all kinds of lures in there. And there's not just one lure. It's not one size fits all. There's a lure from this kind of fish, and there's a lure for, for this kind of fish, and you put it on here, and some fish, you just put a worm on there, which is another reason why I don't like to go. But you have all these lures, and you, have a, you open this box, and this whole thing is filled with all these lures for all kinds of fish, and they, you know, they shake, and they do all kinds of things. And if that doesn't work, then you go to live bait, and you go by this little store on the way, and you pick up a bunch of de- you know, live stuff, and you put it out there, and they love it. See, but there's, it's customized. When you open the tackle box, you realize there's something made just for each individual fish. Can I tell you this? There's a, temple, a temptation tackle box for you. And it's opened up, and there's one, and it has your name on it. It, it, See, the devil and your flesh knows exactly what you want if you could get away with it. There's a lure in there for you. And and see, it's sometimes, you you see, the lure has a hook in it, and you can't see it. So you, you think that you're not getting in trouble, and you bite into it only to get the hook at the end. And you don't see it, but see, that's the, that's the covert attack. It just looks really good. See, it looks good when you watch that stuff and those movies and you go, you know, and you date that girl. She looks good, right? That, oh, if I could have that job, if I could have that promotion, and boy, it really looks good because then I could pay my debt off and we could. It really looks good, but you don't know, you don't think about the hook underneath. But see, traps, enticements, they're different. There's all kinds of traps, all the way from mice trap, all the way to bear traps. It's that you see it. They see the trap. We had, uh, I think, groundhog problems on the church property a while back. And so they put a, a 
is just basically a box and cage right out by the blue shed. And we're supposed to catch that groundhog. Well, we woke up and one morning my wife went out there. I'm, tell me if I'm telling the story right. Um, and there was a possum in it. But all they put inside, I don't know if it was peanut butter and something else. But, I mean, you see, the possum can see the box. I mean, the cage is there. But he also could see and smell the peanut butter or whatever else was in there. And he thought, I I guess I'll go in and risk it. (laughs) Right? So my wife comes out there, and there he is in the box. Right? Right? And my wife goes, oh, great, now we have a dead possum in there. So she gets Kevin Carver, and she goes over there, and I wa- she walked pretty close to it. And she goes, now he's dead. Can you get rid of him? I don't want him to start smelling up everything else. And Kevin, I think, said, you know, I'm not sure about that. You know, it is a possum. So he goes over there, and he gets close and starts to get near the cage and rattle it. And that guy goes, like that, you know? <laughs> I'm saying, like, don't do that. You're stupid. But you saw it. Listen, you saw it, but you know what you see? You saw it, but you wanted that stuff inside enough to risk it. That's us. We know because we've been down this trail before. I know that when I give into this, I know what's going to happen. I know this is going to hurt this. I know it's going to wreck this. I know this is going to hurt God or my wife or my family or my kids. I know it's going to happen, but we do it anyways. We crawl into the cage thinking somehow this time will be different. And it never is. It never is. See, there's a lure made for you. There's a cage just for you. It's nuanced specifically to what you want. Now listen, our advertisers on TV, they know this. They know how exactly how to put things on television so that you would want them. People on social media, they know it. They're not stupid. They put advertisement. They do all kinds of things. They know exactly how your makeup is and how you think and what would bring you back to McDonald's when you know that that's gross. They know. Can I tell you this? The devil knows. He knows what you're all about. You can't hide it from him. He sees what you're really like. But the funny thing is, you don't know. You don't know your weaknesses. Or you do and you just ignore them. James says, that's not what Christians do. That's not how we respond. And you know how he brings it to our attention in a very powerful way? He, he contrasts it with two births in the text. You see what he says? Look at verse 15. And when sin is fully conceived, it brings forth death. Brings forth. They are pregnancy words. It's having a baby. And so when you have a temptation... And the seed is planted, and then the seed grows up, and it matures. You know what happens? Then it's time, and and you know what the baby that sin brings forth is? Death. But contrast that, he's going to say this. But God, who doesn't give evil, instead he gives good to people. You know what God does? He has a new people that he's creating. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. And you know what happens? It says, of his own will he begat them, King James He brings them forth. See, non-Christians are people who aren't living like... See, they are people who are... They bring sin and it bursts death in their lives. But Christians who respond rightly to it, you know what happens? They are birthed by God. They don't birth sin as a practice. They are birthed by God and their life is different. And so it says, our desires, he says, when left unchecked, they result in sin... And they bring forth death. I call them fatal attractions. 
Adam and Eve's attraction to be independent from God, fatal. Lot's wife. God got Lot's wife out of Sodom, but he couldn't get Sodom out of Lot's wife. And she was told not to turn around and look back, and she did. It was a fatal attraction to Sodom that killed her. Samson loved women, and he couldn't overcome or he wouldn't overcome that temptation. It it lost his eyes and eventually his life. David saw Bathsheba, fatal attraction. Gehazi wanted the money. He wanted the clothes that Naaman brought. And though his master forbid it, he did it when his master wasn't looking, but God was looking. And he had leprosy until the day of his death. And I could tell you about Judas I could tell you about Ananias and Sapphira, fatal attractions of people who never lived out the victory in their lives, in the temptation area of their lives, and it brought forth death. And it's almost like in the pages of Scripture you could smell it. Have you ever walked in your garage and you go, whoa, something died in here, like a mouse or something's in there. You can smell it. And see, sometimes spiritually I think God can smell it on us. See, because we're living lives, giving in to some temptation and sin, and it's bringing forth death. See, when it's fully grown, when you let it mature, you let sin get a hold of your life to the degree that it grows to the place where it's ready to give birth, then there's no turning back. John Owen said this, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. We need to fight sin at the desire level. Otherwise, it'll turn into the deed level and it'll grow up in our lives and it will bring death to us and everything and everyone that we love. So we need to kill sin at that level, the desire level. So here, let me say it this way. Kill lust. Kill lust before it kills your marriage. Kill anger before it kills your friendships. Kill bitterness before it kills your fellowship with other Christians and perhaps even this church. Kill pride before it destroys and murders everything and everyone you hold dear. Kill jealousy before it kills your ministry. Kill greed before it ruins your finances. See, James says this, you better start at the desire level. You better get down where it starts because it's going to grow up. If you left it unchecked, it's going to grow up and you're going to have baby sin and it will destroy your life. James says, number one, that's what does not come from God. Evil and temptation to sin. But on the other hand, he says, flip it over in verses 16 through 18. What does come from God? And he wants to start out with this admonition. Don't be deceived. Listen, Get this, because this is who we are. Normally, we are fooled by this. We are self-deceived by this. And he says, my beloved brothers. And he says this out of compassion for them because they're brothers in Christ. They are family. And so he's going to talk about, James is at the end here, and I want to talk to you about, see, when you're in God's family, you are his beloved brothers. You are family. See, family who know God, who really know Christ, they respond differently to temptation. So here's what James says in verse 16. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect. In your Bible, draw a line, ready? From the word evil in verse 13 
and the word good in verse 16. Because that's the contrast. God does not give us evil gifts, temptation to sin. He gives us good gifts. They're good gifts and they're perfect gifts. Same word used in James 1, 3, and 4. Remember that we would be perfect and entire wanting nothing, be complete. God's gifts are holistically good. There's no evil in them. Everything that God gives to us, and by the way, repeatedly gives to us over and over and over, God is giving us good things. Every good gift and every perfect gift, watch, is from above. Two times, other than this verse, the little phrase from above is used in James. James 3.15 and verse 17. And that little phrase makes us understand that there are two types of wisdom. And we're going to get there. There's wisdom from above and wisdom that's not from above. We might say below. So the wisdom from below is sensual, earthly, and demonic, James says. In contrast, but there's a wisdom that's from above. And above always means where God is, in heaven. See, there's an earthly wisdom when it comes to your sin and temptation, and there's a heavenly wisdom that comes to it. And James wants to put in front of all of us this morning this decision. Where does my wisdom to fight sin come from? Because that will tell you who I really am. James want you to, he wants you to look at your life and the way that you are or not fighting sin in your life and say, what does it say about you? If God's not the source and it's not from above, then what's the alternative? Well, it's demonic from below, he says. That's what your response to temptation reveals in your life. He wants you to say, hey, does my life and the way I handle sin and temptation, does it indicate whether I'm from above or from below? And so he says, let me tell you about God and who he is again. Theology lesson number two. Not only can he not tempt us, but he never changes. And he proves that by creation. He says, my gifts come down from the Father of lights, the creator, in whom is no variation. God doesn't change. He's not good one day and evil the next. He doesn't test you one day and tempt you the next. No, God never varies. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. He's always seeking to do good in your life. He's never soliciting you to do evil. See, God created the heaven and the earth and everything we see. You look up in the sky, and God created the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies. But see, even all great as they are, they change. That stuff fluctuates. Not God. The theological term is immutability. He never changes. He's always the same. And he demonstrates his amazing faithfulness in creation. He wants you to look up at the sky and say, listen, see, all this may be gone someday, but I'll always be the same. Always. But God said, let me make it personal because just creation demonstrating my immutability isn't enough because you know what it is? It's out there. Let me get up close where you live, he says. Let me show you this. God is not only the creator of the universe, but he's the creator of a certain kind of people. Look at the text. Of his own will, verse 18, of his own will. You know what that means? His sovereign choice. Of his own will, he brought us forth. See the little phrase, brought us forth? Remember, it brings forth death, 
brings, God brought forth, it's the same exact verb. See, people who give in to sin and temptation as a lifestyle, you know what their life is? They just bring forth death. But God says, here's how good I am. I bring forth life. And I made a new kind of people. And I brought them forth by the word of truth. See, if you're truly a Christian, God is your father and the Bible is your mother. Those are your gospel parents. Those are your spiritual parents. And when God is your father and the Bible is your mother, you will live a different kind of life. One that is not perfect by any stretch in this world, but one that responds to sin and temptation way differently. Way differently, he says. It's the word of, listen, truth. I will not believe the lies of the devil. I will not listen to all the deceptions that the world puts out there. I'm going to think things through. I'm going to see things through the word of truth. I'm not going to live a lie. I'm not going to give in to a lie of the devil and all the things he lies about sin and the pleasure and the good things I can get from it. See, I'm not going to believe that. You know why? Because I'm born into a different family. I am beloved brothers. I have the word of truth as my mother. And God the creator as my father. And it has made me different. And I'm humbled by it. You know why? Because he chose me. He chose me. I didn't ha- he didn't have to. I'm no better than you. And you're no better than anyone else, right? But why? Of his own will. He sovereignly in his grace and kindness chose us to be his people. And he wants, James says, I want you to feel the weight of who you are in Christ and what he has done for you. So that when it comes to sin and temptation, you will live differently. He goes so far as to say this, and I've made them a kind of first fruits of all my creatures. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that the first fruits offering to God was a requirement. All you got to read is numerous passages in the book of Deuteronomy And you'll know that God required that you give all of your produce. When you grew crops and all the things, whether it was animals, whether it was crops, you gave God the first fruits. The first fruits was the best part of all that you produced. Animals, crops, whatever brought you money and income, the very first part, the best part, was offered to God. It was a requirement. And you couldn't give God junk. You couldn't give them animals that had broken legs and blind. You had to give them the best of what you have. And the crops had to be the top-notch stuff. You had to have quality things. And when you do it, you brought it to God and say, God, you know, I know who you are, and I know you brought us out of Egypt, and so, God, you get my best. That's the kind of people he's chosen you to be. He wants you to give him your best. The best of your time, the best of your money, the best of your priorities, the best of your calendar, the best of your life. Why? Because he chose you by grace to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The real question is, is that true for you? Second Thessalonians 2.13 says this, God chose you to be the first fruits to be saved through sanctification and belief in the truth. He chose you to be that. See, he wants loyalty. He wants your allegiance, your devotion, your dedication. 
that you might be, he might be supreme in the affections of your heart. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, just between you and God this morning, maybe you're struggling as a Christian. You're struggling with temptation and sin. You're living in defeat. You have trouble with guilt, shame, depression, anxiety, fear of being found out. It's perhaps destroying not only your relationship vertically with God, but horizontally on so many levels. You might even say, I'm almost out of control. But maybe you're not there yet. But let's kill it today before it gets any further. Would there be people here as believers who say, Pastor Walker, I want to live differently. I'm going to respond to my temptations and sin differently. He's worthy of it. I haven't been demonstrating that in my life, but by God's grace and Spirit's power and word, I want to live worthy of the family that he's chosen me to be in. Please pray for me. With no one else looking, would you just slip your hand up real quickly and put it back down, and I'll pray for you. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with, but I just want to pray for you. Anyone, just put it right down, up and put it right down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Pray for me. Maybe this morning you're looking at your life and you're saying, Boy, I do give in to that, and I am a slave to that. And and maybe you're coming to the realization that the reason is is because he's never brought you to life. You couldn't really say that you know him, that you're born again by Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection for your sins. If you have not that assurance. After the service is over and everybody's on their way out, would you be on your way up here? I'll meet you here. We'll take the Bible and spend some time together to show how you can be born again into God's family through Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you today, our creator, our maker, but also our redeemer, our savior, our God, our king, our all. Please help those who raise their hand today, indicating that they're, as Christians, they're really struggling. Father, help them to see what's going on inside of them and be able to mortify and be able to kill that sin at the desire level. Help them to live out your victory by faith. For those who may be here this morning and they're not sure as they look at their lives in response to sin, whether they're believers at all, may, Father, you give them and grant them humility, brokenness, that they might come seeking you as you give them that gift to do so. They might seek you and find you and find life in your name. And we'll praise you for that blessing for Christ's sake. Amen.